Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the majestic, motivated, and mirthful Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I just want to say, Chris, that I'm a good-looking man. You are a good-looking man. We've and already discussed this. I don't make you look good. You no, just look good. I just look good. And I tell you, I'm really putting that to the test this morning. Are you now? Uh, I mean, no more than I with my insane hair. Yeah. So it's Saturday morning, and we are recording a podcast just uh-huh. for all you listeners out there. Uh-huh, like we do pretty much every Saturday morning? Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting yeah, there. Yeah. All right, so let's do some announcements. We're going to run through five things, So, but we want to get through it quick. So first thing, D&D Presents, they ha- that's their new live stream show from Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they announced they would be launching this new live stream game on Twitch. It's uh, It was announced on Twitter. It's letting folks know that Chris Perkins will be returning to the DM chair, and the cast will be Anna Prosser, Nathan Sharp, Mika Burton, and Shady Penguin, who I don't know who Shady Penguin is. I should probably look that up at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, as of yesterday, we've gotten more details, but I have no idea what they are. We're going to get more details this weekend uh, at PAX Unplugged, but I'm not there, and it's going on right now. Yes, I am not there either, because I am here recording. And, and you, you needed a week off, right? Like, from, I, like, conventioning? Yeah, I was supposed to go, but just couldn't do it. But I would have learned more if I had been there, but this show will replace Dice Camera Action, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people like Chris Perkins, uh, so we will see how it goes. I, I'm i assuming that it will go swimmingly. I'm sure it will. Uh, number two, Let's Design an Adventure, Encounter Basics. This is the continuing series on adventure design on D&D Beyond by Sean Merwin. I've heard of him. I, I think he's a guy. He's a good-looking man. He's a good-looking right? man. Yes, I was. You, you beat me to it, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> I mean that 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 bald pate, that Captain mm-hmm. Picard like yes. like visage. That's yeah. right. So uh, so yeah, I'm I'm writing this uh, series of articles, and we've gotten up to it, encounter basics. So in this one, I am just talking about what are some things you should think about as you write an encounter, um, and. About 2,000, 2,500 words. Uh, go give it a look on D&D Beyond. And then if you haven't seen the previous ones yet, there are links to go back and read the previous ones. Mm. Yep. All right. Next, Three Ways Acquisitions Incorporated completely changes your D&D campaign and downtime, too. This is by Alpha Stream or Teos Abadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the base of the article is about these three things. Characters can build the base operations and run a business or organization. Downtime can now be run while adventuring through intermediaries and hirelings. Mm-hmm. And then NPCs matter, becoming vital to campaign growth. This article is about those three topics, and yep. it's a, a pretty interesting and in, in, insightful article. Right. We've talked about the previous two that talk about downtime uh, in the last show, and this one is an extension of that. And again, uh, Teos has run and is continuing to run these adventures that use downtime and use hirelings um, as kind of a different way to not just gain resources, but to to run a game. Um, And it's the players that he has are really loving this, I know. So um, it's something your players or you as a player might enjoy. So so check it out. I love stuff like this where you send out crews of people that are working with you or for you to go do other things while you're doing other things. Mm-hmm. Just gives a bit of a different breath and feel to the game. 
Right. It, it adds some diversity and, and a new avenue for storytelling as well as a new avenue for mechanics. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty cool because a lot of this stuff exists in video games because – and it's generally easier for it to exist in a lot of ways in video games because the computer can handle a lot of that stuff for right. you. But this is – I like that it's it's now made its way into role-playing games back, I guess, into role-playing games. This seems like a thing that existed – uh, in, like, first and second edition. Right. And to be clear, this is something that can exist outside of the Acquisitions Incorporated world, right? Oh, yeah. Acquisitions Incorporated is a good vehicle for it. Um, but even if you're not an Ack Inc. fan, all of the rules mechanics and the concepts that are laid out both in the book and by Teos uh, in his articles could fit just as easily into any D&D world with guilds, um, with adventuring companies, you know, th- that sorts of thing. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next thing. I got a question for you, Sean. Mm-hmm. Does a does a good-looking man like you still look good when they're in the gray? Uh, it's harder to see, but yes, 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 we do. <laughs> so this is the Nightland, which is the first adventure from Eberron, the Oracle of War. When you hear this, it'll have been out for a little bit now, a little over a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the adventure is this, the Brokers of Salvation. We talked about it before, but they pay good coin for artifacts and scavenge from the haunted battlefields of the Mordland. So you, as a first-level character, or in, at least in APL1, um, will be delving into the Mornland a few times. These are three <laughs> short adventures and also an introduction to uh, Salvation, which is the, the the town that at least serves as the base of operations for the first four adventures of this campaign. There you go. Uh, I couldn't have said it any better myself. If you are going to play this or if you're going to run it, you should also check out the Player's Guide and the DM's Guide for the Oracle of War campaign. Uh, the Player's Guide gives you some backgrounds and some patrons that you can take for your character that are uh, unique to this campaign. So they're they're a good way to get your character into the campaign um, in a good narrative way. Uh, but you are also free, of course, to create your own backgrounds and use backgrounds from any of the resources out there. Absolutely. All right. Uh, last thing. Iron Shoes, which is an adventure set in the streets of Avalon, is now uh, out, up on the D, uh, uh, not on the DMs Guild. It's up on Drive Through RPG. Mm-hmm. This is a, uh, a low level adventure for APL. I guess if you want to use the Adventures League stuff, it's it's for tier one characters yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, it's about a red cap. You could tell from the cover, and it's an investigative and monster hunting adventure set in Avalon. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's so, a very good. Uh, it's a very good look at how to run a low-level adventure within a city environment and mm-hmm. still kind of make it explore-focused uh, explore and social-focused uh, at the same time. Yeah, and it's got that, that monster hunting thing where, like, well, you go find out about the thing, and then you have to go back and maybe and find out how to kill the thing. Yes, um, knowledge is just as important as martial and magical prowess in this adventure. Mm-hmm. All right, those are our announcements, and we did that in, like, about six minutes, so good on us. Yay. Yay, yay us. All right, let's get to the next thing. Descent, Part 8, Chapter 3, More Avernus. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're going to delve into Fort Knucklebones a little bit deeper than we did last time. We're going to talk about Infernal War Machines and the rules surrounding them, because uh, I got some thoughts. Yes, you do. All right, uh, let's let's do a little bit of a recap. So we know that there was Baldur's Gate at this point. We know that Elturel's gone. Mm-hmm. We know that there's devil worshippers around and devils doing things. 
And then we've gone to Avernus. And mm-hmm. Elturel is in the sky. It's descending into the River Styx. Things are terrible. And now we've gone out into the world to try to find the sword of Zeriel to try to save the city of Elturel. Yep, and you're following Lulu's Lulu the Holophant's recovering memories. Mm-hmm. And we've now traveled across Avernus a little bit, mm-hmm. and Avernus is a, not a very nice place. Nope. And uh, we've managed to get to Fort Knucklebone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to recap a little bit about Fort Knucklebone in specific, it is a. Uh, it looks like a hand... Uh, out of coming out of a mountain, it's a junk pile type place. It's run by a woman, well, not a woman, a hag named Mad Maggie, who reminds me a lot of Agra in a lot of ways from the Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we mentioned last week, Mad Maggie is a collector of Zerial uh, descent memorabilia because mm-hmm. Mad Maggie loves. Uh, what does she love, Sean? She loves misery, uh, mm-hmm. and so she came to Avernus because if you're going to look for misery, there's no better place than a place where the miserable are tortured. And when she got here, she heard the story of Zeriel, and she delighted, Mad Maggie delighted in the amount, sheer amount of misery that comes along with that story. So she uh, has collected a lot of information on Zeriel, making this a great place for the characters to go to get information. Uh, But what the characters have over Mad Maggie is leverage because they are in possession of Lulu who can really tap into this misery that Mad Maggie uh, so desperately wants. Yeah, absolutely. And this part of the adventure to me is fascinating because it is a structure, a framework, as a, as we like to call them, Sean, mm-hmm. for a series of... Uh, role-playing encounters that actually have stakes mm-hmm. right and and often like it's hard to figure out like what is the overarching feel of of having stakes in, in a in a role-playing essentially session or mini adventure mm-hmm. and this does that really well yeah it it talks about as chris said it talks about um something that's very role-play centric but putting stakes putting a, a frame around it helps a DM figure out if this role-playing extravaganza is a success or a failure um, without tying it down to rules that are too specific and lose the the kind of feel of the role-playing session. Mm -hmm. So in, like, 4th edition, what we would have gotten here is a skill challenge, right? Yes. And that would have so mechanized it that it might have taken away from character options or character um, creativity or player creativity. And what this does is it says, yes, there is this scale that you can measure success and failure on, but we're not going to tell you exactly what it is. You as the DM use your best judgment to figure out how successful on a scale of 1 to 10 the characters are doing these things. And the nice thing is that it gives you a series of NPCs that you can talk to that can adjust that scale. Mm-hmm. And it in the uh, in this, it tells you about these characters, their, uh, their desires, their goals, essentially, and how you can help them. Mm-hmm. And also how you can not help them, and things that might cause problems, too. Right. 
So, and there's some tricky situations inside of this too. Like, well, there's no good answer at, at times, right? Right. There, it's not the. There's not going to be a perfect solution. There's going to be a solution where you have to choose between two things and hope that the consequences of choosing against one thing are outweighed by the consequences of choosing this other thing. Mm-hmm. I have to say I love some of the art in this section. Mm-hmm. It's because it, this is the kind of stuff I always feel like. I mean, art's always good anytime, but like I like being able to see the kinds of people or entities that I'm talking to. Right. So like there's a really good picture of Chucka and Klonk, the, the two Kenku that you can interact with. Mm-hmm. And there's a really lovely uh, picture of the Redcaps and oh. the Madcaps. The Redcaps their... and the Madcaps are, are incredible. Mm-hmm. The, the, the art for them is, is wonderful. They even have the iron shoes on. It's yep. so good. Yep. The, uh, so people generally know what a Redcap is. It's a fey creature who soaks its cap in blood, right? It's a, mm-hmm. little, it's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit chaotic. Um, destructive as as anything. Uh, this adds the concept of the madcap, which is a red cap, but instead of soaking its hat in blood, it soaks it in demon ichor. It's a terrible idea, but it's yeah. a great idea. And so they are they are like two times as crazy and chaotic and outlandish as the red caps. Yeah, they're Which, legitimately insane. Right. And so there's this horror element that goes along really well with Avernus. But then there's also this comedic bit that you can twi- tweak. So you can you know, either go one in one direction or the other, depending on what your group is interested in. You can portray them as these horrible creatures, but you can always play up the comedic side. Yeah, this whole section has got a bunch of comedy built into it mm-hmm. i mean there's a flesh golem named mickey mm-hmm. and that that poor flesh golem has a bone in his foot which makes it difficult for for mickey to walk um but mickey has a hard time expressing that so mm-hmm. you kind of have to figure it out yourself and then and then pull the thorn out of the elephant's proverbial foot right right and one of the clues that this is happening is as he limps around and hobbles around all of these red caps and mad caps um mock him Right. So so they're doing this sort of little dance. So as he walks, they're all behind him doing the same sort of thing. And that's a way it's a, it's a detail that will help the characters realize something's wrong. Because if you just as the DM describe this limping creature, it may not register the first time, especially with players who don't listen to box text or aren't as detail oriented as some others. But if you then go on to describe all of these little madcap, redcap creatures behind him shuffling along, doing exactly what he's doing, um, it drives that point home a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And they like doing that dance called, that they call the Mickey. Mm-hmm. Do so, the Mickey. Mm-hmm. Do the Mickey. Um, also, there's a there's a flame skull that floats around named uh, Barnaby. Mm-hmm. And he's missing a tooth, which makes him whistle when he talks. Mm-hmm. So that is a chance for you as a, as a dungeon master to to play that up, right? Try to do the whistling talk if you want, right? And and the uh, the red caps and the mad caps stole his tooth. Right? Mm-hmm. They, they they like to taunt him, so they throw things at him, and one of them hit him in the face and knocked the tooth out. And so now they they hide. They think this is a good luck charm, so they try to hold on to it and keep it away from him, and passing it from one to the other. So one of the, the things characters can do is try to hunt down his tooth and give it back to Barnabas to gain some favor with um, with Mad Maggie. Yep. Now, 
the order in which you do some of this stuff can then become important. And which mm-hmm. it's really good why this is uh, a kind of a fluid scale situation. Right. And also in how things will react to you. Because if you ask me, it's probably easier to get the tooth from the madcaps and the redcaps before you, deal, you, you help Mickey. Because right. after you help Mickey, they're going to be mad at you. Right. Because you've, you've you know, ruined their dance. Mm-hmm. And then you can also help Chuka and Klonk um, repair a uh, demon grinder. Yep, yep. Prepare it's, a, one. it's one of the infernal war machines, which we're going to talk about machines. in a little bit. Yeah, we'll talk about those later. Yeah. Um, but so there's there's these all these different things that characters can do to um, to help Bad Maggie or help her crew, uh, you know, reach their goals, which will then move that scale up or down. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the last I guess the last since we've talked about three of them, pins and needles. They're lazy imps, and they're uh, they're yep. Maggie's pets, mm-hmm. and they try to get the player characters to kill one of the madcaps that they think is going to kill them. But I don't. They don't frame it that way. Uh, but you can get the truth out of it eventually. Right. The uh, right. The the two imps tell, lie basically lie to the characters to try to get them to kill um, one of the red cap leaders, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, and the characters again socially can work out the truth and then decide what the best way how to what the best way to handle this would be. And the the red caps and the mad caps are it's good to have them here because if the players really just are itching for a fight, like this is something for the characters to fight. Mm-hmm. But that is not the the focus of this because there's a there's tons and tons of these red caps and mad caps, mm-hmm. and uh, Mad Maggie keeps bringing more of them in. So it's and eventually, if you're if you're clever and you you kind of work your way through all of this, you find out that it doesn't really matter to Mad Maggie if you kill a bunch of the red caps and the mad caps. Right. Anybody else, not so much. But yeah. uh, those those who cares. Yeah, and they're as likely to kill each other, and that's something as the DM you can make clear early is that these guys are expendable. Uh, so while the characters shouldn't just go on a full-scale killing spree of all of them because they are Mad Maggie's army and it does take a while to replenish them. Um, it's not like she's uh, tied to any of them emotionally. Yeah, I mean, you can just have one of the the red caps and the mad caps walk by with uh, another red cap or mad cap head on the giant speck of their iron shoes. Yep, it's just as, just as easy as anything to show, uh, to show that, yep. Yeah, absolutely. So after you've taking some time because the, the reason that you're you get a chance to talk to all of these folks is because lulu has memories that mad maggie wants and mad maggie is is willing to to perform a ritual that will let you go on a dream quest through lulu's memories to help her rem- help lulu remember what's what's up mm-hmm. and how to find the bleeding citadel yep um but on on another side of things like as you're waiting for that to happen doing all this stuff can garner you more resources mm-hmm which it can be very useful. Yeah. So let's uh let's talk about this dream. Mm-hmm. So this dream quest. Um, I have one problem with this dream quest. Okay. There's no stakes really in it. It's true. Because you go through the dream quest and if you fail, you can just try it again. Right. Yeah, that's the only thing that caught my attention too was uh, you, it's important that the characters get all of these memories but they can fail in the dream quest. So I would have rather seen, I think it's okay as it is, but I would rather seen a, a better explanation of what happens if they fail, how they I can would have, still get the dreams, but, uh, you know, 
these are the consequences for failure. Yeah, I would prefer preferred them to have something like a uh, a level of exhaustion that they can't get rid of for mm-hmm. like a week mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, that's like that's they good. just yeah, because that's psychic damage, right? Like you were yeah. you were mentally worn from this experience. Yep. But only if you like get knocked out, right? Because you can die inside of the dream, but you don't die in real life. You just get knocked out of the dream. Course. Right, you get knocked out of the dream. So yeah, I think that's a that's a fine um, that's a fine resolution for failure. It's it's not overly taxing, but it's something that is reminds you of your failure for sure. Because mm-hmm. only one person needs to get to the end. True. Um, and there's some not exactly uh, easy encounters in this thing. True. Uh, but so like it, it's just running through Lou's memories to remember what happened. Like uh, it, it goes. A, also to break through the mental barriers that Lulu has set up because of the trauma that Lulu has suffered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's done pretty well. There's five scenes that you mm-hmm. play through. Um, some of them are... Some of them... Bleh, come on, Chris. It's a good thing this gets edited. <laughs> uh, some of them aren't real. Some of them are, are just blocks. Some of them are actually the things that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, you get to see Lulu with the lieutenant that was running away with the sword. Mm-hmm. You actually get to be there. You get to um, get to interact with some of those the devils in the dream that you beat. Uh, also, you can get bo- boons and things like that if you spare their lives inside the dream or not. Yeah, I mean it's it's a little interesting adventure within an adventure almost. It is. It's exactly what it is. But but it also it also is a good representation of what Zeriel and Lulu went through. Mm-hmm. Or, as Chris said, what Lulu is trying to block out. Um, so it's, you know, psychologically it's interesting to see how it unfolds. And and sometimes in the middle of a scene, um, Mad Maggie will break in to the dream almost and say, you know, this is Lulu just trying to, to stall you, to, to keep away from the really hurtful stuff. So just break through. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, uh, once you do, then Lulu knows where the sword is and you can start making your way, which will lead to some, the, the next part of the adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's okay. Like it's, it, like I said, if there were stakes, it'd be way better. Mm-hmm. True. And, and so, I mean, th- there, are, there are stakes for the overall scene here at Fort Knucklebone. There's just not stakes for this particular dream sequence. Oh, yes, because if yeah. you m- make a bunch of people mad, mm-hmm. they will uh, chase attack you out of the out of Fort Knucklebone. And let me tell you, I don't care what I don't care if you are level tough. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to call it level tough. If you are mm-hmm. level tough, uh, fighting a flesh golem, Mad Maggie, Barnabas, uh, pins and needles, chunk and clock and like 100 red caps and mad caps is not going to be that easy. No, you will definitely be fleeing um, the Citadel or you know Fort Knucklebone. And it's not even that. You, it's not that you are being chased out. It's that you did not get any resources that you're going to need because as you leave, you are now in Avernus with no protection. Uh-huh. Right? Before you were in El Terrell, and now you were in Fort Knucklebone, which is you know its own little fortress. Now, as you wander through the horrible plains of Avernus, um, if you're going to be attacked by an infernal war machine, you probably want one of your own. 
Yeah, because they're not the easiest things to fight. Right. So it's the resources that you can get that's and the information that you get that's important about Fort Knucklebone. Yeah, and if you are well liked by Mad Maggie and her people, they'll give you mm-hmm. uh, they'll give you a war machine. Mm-hmm. That's important. An infernal war machine. That's important because you can drive across the land now instead of walk. That's that's always good. Yeah. Um, you can get as many as three soul coins, mm-hmm. uh, which that's what you need to fuel your infernal war machine. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. You can get some silvered weapons of your choice to assist with battles with devils and ly- ly- lycanthropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get two weeks of rations per character, and you can get a bunch of information about the other warlords that are running around. Yep, and that's going to become important in what we talk about next week. Uh, yeah, next week, because we're going to talk mm-hmm. about those warlords next week. That's right. All right. Let's. That's Fort Knucklebone. It's it's a really good little mini adventure inside of this thing, and it's a good structure to model future possible like social encounters after. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Infernal War Machines, Sean. Let's. So we're gonna go right to Appendix B of mm-hmm. this book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of the few times we've jumped out of the uh, the story. Yeah, but it's important, I think, that we do because what we're gonna talk about next week has a lot to do with um, Infernal War Machines. So let's. We should get to the nitty gritty of them. Mm-hmm. So, we're just going to talk about the rules. So these are these are machines, right? These are giant, or sometimes not giant. It's it's very Mad Max. If you've seen Mad Max, you know exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're vehicles like bikes or or cars, like dune buggies or larger vehicles, like trucks, and they have mod- and they have like spikes on them and fire belching out of them, and they scream really uh, agonizingly, painfully loud because they have souls that are being tortured inside of them as fuel. It's a. It's not a good situation, really. No. But that's all the flavor stuff. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the stats. Mm-hmm. So they use a, a, a standard stat block with mm-hmm. some modifications. Yep. Um, there is a creature and cargo capacity. So like you can only so many people can ride on these things, and you can always hang people off the side if you want. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're inside of it, you usually get some some extra bonuses like like cover, for instance. Right. Plus, you can use the. We'll, we'll talk about it a bit the actions that go with the action stations. Remember that word. It's it's not it's kind of important. Mm-hmm. Action station. So, first off, uh, they all have an armor class of nineteen plus whatever the dex modifier of the machine is, mm-hmm. because they're all built with infernal iron. Um, an important thing to note is when these machines aren't moving, all attacks have advantage against them. That that's is true. A, that's a thing that's stated, and they're, they have ability scores. They do. They have. Uh, dex, strength, and con, and then they have int, wiz, and chai at zero because these are not intelligent magical yeah. items or anything like that. Right. So, in any magic or any attack that would target intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, since they have a score of zero, they automatically fail those saving throws. Yeah. Assuming now, it hurts them. Right. Right. Now, like charm spells or hold spells that would normally only affect. You know, living creatures will not affect these things. So, for the most part, that probably doesn't have any bearing on what you can do at 7th level or lower. Yeah, I mean, these are vehicles, so they don't get hit by certain things. I mean, use your best judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like psychic damage doesn't work on a machine. Right. Um, there's a really, really good flavor for how the strength, dex, and con scores uh, translate. I like that a lot. Um, and now let's talk about hit points. Mm-hmm. So, if... A machine, an infernal war machine, is reduced to zero hit points. It ceases functioning, and any souls in its furnace are released to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So you, you run out of fuel. 
So yep. that, 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 that's the thing that happens. Um, they have a damage threshold. So this is a minimum amount of damage that is needed to harm the machine. So if you do like, so I'm looking at a scavenger right now. If you do nine points of damage to the scavenger, you don't do anything to it. Mm-hmm. It's got a damage threshold of 10. Right. Um, once you get above that, you start hurting it. Yep. And it, this is not damage reduction. This nope. is just a threshold. So if its threshold is 10 and you do nine, it takes zero damage. If you do 10, it does 10 damage, right? Yep. It's not it's one. It's ex- exactly how it works. Right. So you just have to get over that threshold. Then there's a thing called a mishap threshold. Yes. So if the damage on a single attack is greater, equal to or greater than the mishap threshold, then a mishap occurs. And we'll, mm-hmm. mishaps are, there's a chart, mm-hmm. and they're, they're basically injuries, essentially, to the machine. Damage that occurs that is like a, a bit of a break in some way, shape, or form to the, to the Invernal War Machine. Yep. They're actually pretty cool. We'll talk about that chart in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um. Now we move on to those are those are all the modifications to the to the stat block. Otherwise, the stat block block looks a lot similar to other stat blocks you've seen. There's there's actions, there's special abilities, uh, there's often reactions on some of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, the reaction on a lot of at least the smaller ones is pretty good. It's called Juke, mm-hmm. and it allows the driver to use its reaction to grant the machine an advantage on a dexterity saving throw. Right. So when the fireball go, fireball goes off, they can uh, juke out of the way. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some more uh, more rule-type things. Mm-hmm. So first off, they're magic items, so they're susceptible to an anti-magic field. If somebody hits them with an anti-magic field of some sort, they'll stop mm-hmm. until they're outside of it. Yep. Um, opportunity attacks function as normal. So if, you, if you're next to a thing and you try to disengage without disengaging, somebody can, a bunch of people can beat on you if they have the, the ability to do so. Um, and then there's action stations. So these are the spots on the machine that characters can take actions from. Can I I want to jump back to the opportunity attacks real quick. Sure. One question that's come up a lot because we've run adventures like the one of the opens, one of the D&D opens deals with these infernal war machines. And the question that always comes up is if a creature is on the outside of a, a of a war machine and the war machine drives away, can you just attack the war machine or can you attack a creature on it? And the answer is yes. You can good attack know. a creature on the war machine if the war machine provokes an opportunity attack. There you go. That's good to know. Yep. All right. Let's move on to action stations. Yes. So there are two types of stations. There's the helm and there's weapon stations. The helm is the driver. If you don't have a driver or the driver is incapacitated, you automatically fail on dexterity saving throws. Mm-hmm. Um, the On the action that you can take as the driver is you can drive, which means you can move the machine and you are allowed to use the following bonus actions for the machine. You can turn the machine on or off and you can you can use the dash or disengage uh, action while the vehicle is running. So you can't do that, obviously, when the thing's off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can insert a soul coin into the engine. Those are the three extra bonus actions that you get while you're driving. Yep. Or dump a flask of demon ichor into yeah, it. Yeah, you can do that too, which is nitrous, yep. which I can't wait to talk about that. That's fun. Oh, yeah. Um, and then there are weapon stations. So if you are in a weapon station, it allows you to use whatever the weapon is. And uh, the, for instance, there is a wrecking ball on one of them. Mm-hmm. And that lets you make the melee attack for the weapon ball, which, you know, it's plus nine to hit. It's got a 15-foot reach, and it mm-hmm. does a ton of damage. Yep. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, harpoon flingers, grappling claws, yeah. all sorts uh- of a thing we probably won't talk about is at the end of this section. I mean, we'll mention it, but there's like a bunch of modifications mm-hmm. that you can make to these Infernal War Machines. Mm-hmm. 
So there's there's weapons, there's armor, and there's magical devices. Like there's a smoke screen that you can use. It's yep. kind of neat. Uh, so you have to be in that weapon station in order to use that. If you're not, then you can't use the action, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's cool because it, it lets you use the crew thing. But we'll and we'll get into the the nitty gritty of some of the stuff, I guess. And do you want to talk about that a little bit, like? This idea of weapon stations and drivers and things like that? Why don't we talk about the soul fuel and, and, and that stuff first? All right, cool. So soul fuel. One, your engine is two sizes smaller than your vehicle. Uh, I don't know why that's important, but it was in there, and it seemed like it was important. Mm-hmm. Is that important, Sean? I don't. The only way it's important is sometimes you'll have characters say, I just shoot for the engine. Um, ah. And that may have some bearing on it. But I, I don't, don't know. I don't think you can actually do that in D and D. Like, there's no called shots. So exactly, but it's it's something that comes up. Let's put it that way. So sure. this might help DMs who want to allow that sort of action to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, if you throw a soul coin in there, you get 24 hours of fuel. So that's that's important to note. I think that's weird to me a little bit because. What is is it twenty? It's twenty four hours of fuel, right? Not just twenty four hours. Um, I, I that that's a that, that's a question that's also out there. Is when you put the soul coin in, does the does it does it only last for twenty four hours, even if it's idle? That's that's what I mean, right? right. And the, I don't know if that has been successfully answered. I think it's only 24 hours. I, so, I, like, you you don't want to just haphazardly put coins into the engine. Right. Because it doesn't say that it's 24 hours worth of fuel. It just says it lasts for 24 hours in the engine. Right. So it's, you know, it, that's a question that will come up. Just decide as the DM, you know, how you want to handle it. Yeah, because it's hard to track 24 hours worth of fuel. Mm-hmm. Th- this is true. And um, one, uh, one other thing that I want to talk... Well, go ahead. Talk about the what, what else happens there. So once you throw a coin in, the machine starts screaming. Screams of anguish because you're torturing a soul to burn it for fuel. Mm-hmm. And that goes out to 60 feet when the coin is inside the engine. Uh, the 60 feet thing, I don't know why you bother with that. I mean, it's this loud screaming. I mean, yeah. maybe it's just... Maybe you're just like, well, after 60 feet, it just sounds like the rest of Avernus, right? Yeah, that's true. I, I guess <laughs> if you're trying to stealth up on something... Um, it's hard to do that in a uh, infernal war machine. Yes, that is a, that is a thing. It also lets people know that you're coming. Because like, right. to me, I'm like that, that's the thing. Like, man, what do you hear? Is that does that sound like a thing over the horizon? And then, yeah. like, you hear that. Yeah. Then it hits the hits the crest, and you hear that. Yeah. And like, then the, the the metal starts playing. Exactly. <laughs> and this is sort of important because there has been a lot of debate about how, like, lawful good characters would they do this uh, because they're basically torturing a soul to fuel a, you know, a vehicle. And is that something that they would do? And I think it's important to, you know, for your own campaign to figure that out. If, if you want the characters to make use of this, then you need to say to them, it, it does hurt the soul, but, after the after the energy runs out, they are free of the soul coin. That's true. So in some ways, if you want lawful good characters to feel comfortable doing this, you need to let them know that in the long run, it's a good act to do this. Now, or, if, you know, put the put the screws to him and be like, right, well, exactly. 
Sometimes the the ends justifies the means. Exactly. And and if you want to run a campaign that does exactly what Chris just said, that weighs one thing against another, then you need to do that. But one, you just need to be aware that if you do that and a character says, no, I am a lawful good paladin and there's no way I would ever do this, I'm not going to use one of these things, you can't then just wipe them off the map because they're not going to use a war machine. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing for the group to figure out, right? Exactly. I mean, it's 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 putting putting the, the character into an impossible position. Yeah. Now, and you don't want to put them into an impossible position. Right. Now, you don't necessarily need to use the Infernal War Machines. They're just really cool. Well, yeah, ex- that's exactly it. You don't need to, but that's why if you do, right, if you send a, a just a convoy of Infernal War Machines after a party that's just trudging on foot through Avernus, that's not good. No, it's terrible. It's a bad idea. Right. So just be aware of that. You know, like, don't put them... Don't put the players into that impossible position of you must either turn your back on everything you believe in or just die automatically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could also just ask them, like, how do you how will you eventually reconcile this with you? You don't have to like it at right. first, but like there is a greater good that needs to be accomplished here. Like if you don't do this thing, mm-hmm. then you're probably not going to be able to save thousands of lives. Right. Yeah, and so it's just it's something to be aware of, right? If if it's if this is something that would ruin your game, be aware of it now and take steps to alleviate it. Mm-hmm. That's all. All right, all right let's talk about demon ichor boost. Mm-hmm. So you can pour some demon ichor into your uh, into your your engine, your infernal engine, and you essentially get a nitrous oxide boost. Your speed goes up by thirty for one minute, but you have to roll uh, a d twenty, and if you roll a one. There's a mishap, and mm-hmm. that mishap is your furnace ruptures. Yes, because you don't want those demon souls in your uh, devil machine. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh man, it's so bad. And you, have to, and you have to roll that d20 at the beginning of every turn, mm-hmm. the driver's turn, anyway. Right. So five percent chance of something bad happening. Uh huh. For you know ten rounds. Mm-hmm. All right. So I like these mishaps as a concept because mm. they can be fixed on the fly by people on the machine. True. Now to repair them and I'll talk about exhaustion in a second, but to repair them, you need to have tinker tools or smithing tools mm-hmm. and to fix a mishap, uh, you have to get at where the mishap is and then you have to make a DC 15 in uh, DC 15. What is it? Dexterity or is it intelligence? It's, I, I think it's, it's intelligence uh, to, to repair. To repair the the mishap on the fly, it's, it's a it little. De- it depends on the mishap. Oh, that's some right. The mishaps all have strength. their own. That's right. Yeah. So they're each, either dex or strength, basically. Yeah, and each mishap has its own uh, DC repair. Yep. It, unless it doesn't have a DC repair, then you can't fix it. Right. Like if you flip it. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So um, so that that is how you can fix a mishap while it's driving, and you, like I said, you have disadvantage if the vehicle is moving. So it's it's cool that you can do it while it's running driving around, but it's not as easy. Yep. Um. I also like that these vehicles, they can suffer exhaustion from mm-hmm. wear and tear. And that, that'll matter because this game assumes that you'll use the, the chase rules, which you can uh, become exhausted during a chase by mm-hmm. using the dash action. Right. Um, and th- that can only be fixed by repairing them. Yep. So to remove exhaustion, you once again need to have tinker tools or smith tools. And it's a an hour of time at least mm-hmm. or more. 
and you need to make a DC-15 intelligence check, and it has to be on a stationary vehicle. You can't do this while it's moving. Right. Um, also, if your vehicle has lost hit points, you can fix it. Mm-hmm. And that's a DC-15 dex check, and the same deal. You need an hour or more in a stationary vehicle, and it'll heal 2d4 plus 2 hit points. Mm-hmm. Now, these rules, they only matter if time is of the essence. Right. Yeah, if you have an infinite amount of time, you can just set and repair over and over again until everything's fixed. Yeah, so just wipe that stuff off the map if you have if you have like like eight or if you take a long rest, mm-hmm. you could probably just fix the vehicle. Right. Whatever might be wrong with it. Um, all right. Although you might not get the benefit of the long rest if you're repairing the vehicle, that's a thing to think about. This is definitely something that you need to think about ahead of time because if you use these rules, it will come up. Mm-hmm. Now, crashing, because they're vehicles, and they go really fast. Mm-hmm. They do go really fast, actually, like 100 to 120 feet per round. Yep. Um, if you crash into something, it's a D6 damage for every 10 feet it moves since last turn. Yes. That's, that's since last turn. Right. So if you moved 100 feet last turn, and then you moved another 100 feet and hit something, that's 200 feet. That's 20 D6. Yes. Right? That's how that works? A maximum of 26. So let's, let's go to the rule exactly. Um, I will go to the rule exactly. Let me find that crashing rule. There's a crashing rule around here somewhere. And for every 10 feet, it moves since its last turn. It doesn't say the beginning or the end. And that's sort of important. Right? It is sort of important. That's why I said it the way I said it. Right. Um, and so, again, this is something that you need to think about ahead of time and decide whether you want to make it the beginning of the last turn or the end of the last turn, because that could be an, a lot of extra damage um, since once like the devil's ride speeds 120 feet. Yeah, I think we should. I think I think the intention of the rules is since the end of its last turn. Yeah, I think so. So if you're you're hit by a devil's ride. That went its full speed oh, ahead of time. No, hold on one second. It's probably since the beginning of last turn because uh, th- I think these rules are t- trying to um, show acceleration and deceleration. Okay. So if you were going 100 feet last turn right, and you only moved 10 feet at the beginning of this turn and hit something, it would only be 1D10, 1D6 points of damage by the way that we were talking about it before, right. but it'd be 11d6 damage by the way that we're talking about it now. Yeah. And that makes more sense. Right. You wouldn't be able to get up to 20 if it was only since the, since the end of the last turn. Yeah. So yep. it's probably it's probably since the beginning of the last turn. I would say so. And, but one thing I would rule is that it has to be in a straight line or a relatively straight line. I would say that because you, you I don't want to have the war machine like go around me three times and then crash into me yeah and, i'm with and, you and That's, have it say you know uh, it's the problem with these rules which we'll talk about the yes. problem with these these rules in a second yeah <laughs> um they're not perfect right but uh if you crash like i said if you crash into something that that happens mm-hmm. um if you are in the vehicle when it crashes you have to make a dc 15 strength saving throw if you're in the machine and you take that that 1d6 per 10 feet mm-hmm Moved or half on a saving throw because crashes are bad. Yep. Um, if you crash into a creature, the creature gets a reaction to dodge out of the way of the vehicle. It's a DC 10 deck saving throw. And they take that same damage level, like 1d6 per 10 feet moved. Um, 
if the vehicle is two categories larger than the thing that you're, than the creature that you're crashing into, it keeps moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's not, it comes to a complete stop after crashing into the creature. Yep. And then, like I mentioned before, there's all those weapon, armor, and magical gadget modifications. So, like, there's a flamethrower that you can put on your on your infernal war machine. Yeah, there's there's a lot of upgrades and variations and things you can attach to the weapon stations. I mean, there's a stick sprayer. Mm-hmm. Get thirty gallons of water from the river sticks. That's that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We were talking about that a, a couple of sessions ago, right? Yeah. You don't want to be sprayed with the water from the river no, sticks. No. no, no, you don't. Or if you want like, to be a real like the acidic bile sprayer is yeah, that, probably no fun. That's probably no fun either. Yep. Um, I was going to say something. Sorry, I lost my thought. It's fine. Doesn't matter. Okay. Uh. So those are the weapon, armor, and magical gadget modifications. And uh, let's talk about these rules a little bit, like our thoughts about them. I think we got a little time. Yep. No, we, we don't have a little time. Well, let's just sum it up real quick. Sure. They're fun rules, but they are not the be-all and end-all. It's more important that you use these rules in a way that makes the game fun without making it too complicated. I'm, I agree with you 100%. Um, the book implies that you use the chase rules mm-hmm. for these. It's chapter eight of the Dungeon Master's Guide. The chase rules will actually make it a lot make a lot more sense, in my opinion, uh, as far as like the the driving, trying to like move at high speeds away from each other. Mm-hmm. I think that makes more sense. But it also kind of assumes that you're going to use tactical style of combat for what is essentially dogfighting on, on flat ground. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it says right in the book, use theater of the mind. Um, when you're doing all this, that's a but, good idea. But but then it, it you know it uses very specific distances and so you know it's well it's, it needs those for the damage exactly the crashing and stuff exactly so it's you know it's one of those do it this way but also do it this way so again find the right balance for your group if you are in a group with a bunch of rules lawyers um, you could have a very long and frustrating session because there's a lot of rules that are ambiguous or you know that need more explanation and so it's going to turn into lots of arguments and discussion um just do all this ahead of time decide as the dm get the buy-in from the players and then go rather than having to hash it out during the session yeah i i'm with sean i like it says use theater of the mind use theater of the mind and uh, as the dungeon master, be like, look, I'm going to make a bunch of rulings. I'm going to often try to rule in favor of you folks that are playing, but we're going to try to make some sense of it, too. So, like, if you try a U-turn, like, a, at going at 100 feet, you've just dro- driven 100 feet in a straight line, mm-hmm. then I'm probably going to make you make some sort of stunt, and mm-hmm. you might flip your car. Yeah. Unless you want to take a softer turn, then you can take, say, you took a softer turn, and that'll slow you down a little bit. Yep. Stuff like that. Make sense? I totally agree. All right. Well, that is our uh, that is our episode this time. Next time we'll uh, talk about warlords and Ragadiga. Ragadaga. Yeah, I can say it. Ragadaga. Ragadraga. Ragadraga. Okay. Mm-hmm. I must have wrote that in wrong. So, uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. Let's do some Patreon shoutouts. Uh, Boudet, Chris Foster, Dan Simons, David Walker, Donahue McCarthy, Drew Smith, Glenn Seiler, Jason Pinella, Jason Pitt, Jean Lorbert, Jeff Stevens, Jim Morrison, Joe Rasso, John Just John, M.T. Black, 
Matthew Pezzarelli, Robert Dorgan, Ryan Bolter, Thomas Hook, Troy E. Taylor, and Troy Pitchelman. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Download D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, you also get to see our pre-production show notes and access to our Misdirected Mark Slack room, where you can chat with us and discuss all sorts of D&D or game-related things. Mm-hmm. Or for just a single dollar per month. A dollar? Just a dollar, Chris. You get to hear our extended episode where we talk about something else, and we call this episode The Sneak Attack. Watch out! <laughs> if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review or a review or a shout-out on social media or any kind of thing where people will see it. Yep. Review us in any way you can. Uh, Apple Podcast is generally the best way because other podcatchers use Apple Podcast. But we want to hear what you think of what we're doing here. So let us know and share us out as much as you can, and we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can go to the forums, uh, the forums.misdirectedmark.com, where we have all sorts of discussions about the things that we talk about. Uh, you can catch me at the Light 101 on Twitter. You can also go to at MisdirectedMark on Twitter. That is the network Twitter, and we often get those messages if they're like hashtag with D&D or just mention D&D. You know, there's a bunch of other places to get quality content from Misdirected Mark Productions. There's the website. That's also where you can get our show. Uh, there's our new Twitch channel where we do a bunch of other things like the Misdirected Mark podcast and a couple of actual plays. And we have a YouTube page. The show goes up there. And other great shows such as Pandas Talking Games. That's where my very good friend Phil Vecchione and Senda, the queen of Misdirected Mark, they answer your questions about RPGs from the perspective of one-shots and campaigns or from just two different perspectives. And they do it with a ton of panda silliness. They even have panda hoodies. Mm-hmm. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some mad cats. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D?